Pastor John, it's, it's so good to be with you here again today. Thank you so much for, for joining us. And we've been doing some interviews talking about our core values here at Sagemont, why we do what we do. And I want to tell you, besides the authority of Scripture and loving God, when I was studying Sagemont, this one caught my attention. And, and one of your core values that you guys chose a long time ago is the core value of relevance. And here's what you said on the website. You say, we believe that we are called to connect a changing world with the unchanging message of the Bible, demonstrated by doing all we can in worship, teaching, living, and speaking a language that people understand. You know, Pastor, you were, and I don't say this as, as a false flattery, you were way ahead of your time and your generation in thinking like this. Years and years ago, you were thinking not how have we always done it, but how do we need to do it in order to reach the next generation? So talk about why you chose relevance as a core value of this church long time before many in your generation did. We must look to the future, but we must not change if the world changes. We need to know enough about the scripture that that's not of God. Amen. Uh, but some of our young people are coming up with some of the greatest words from God, I think, for that any generation ever has had. But by the same token, there is that wanting to move away from some things that are extremely important. We've already talked about them, the inerrancy of the Scripture, the love for one another, serving, giving, debt-free, you know, whatever I have, uh, I want to give it to the Lord. So we have to, it's a, it's a tightrope to, to walk. But by the same token, we owe this generation the truth. Now, you, you did something that was, um, and I actually heard about it years ago. Um, when I was really young in the ministry, you made one of the most courageous decisions I've ever seen a pastor make. Again, it was before your time. But you chose to take Baptist off the name of Sagemont, which I'm sure there were a couple of people that did not like that at all. Pastor, you did that before it was cool. You know, um, I made the same decision when I, when I planted the Austin Stone. It's a Southern Baptist church. We were planted through the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention. I chose not to put Baptist on the name. But you did that years and years before. So talk about why you made that decision. Well, our explanation was, if, if you uh, see a sign that says, best Chinese food in Houston, and you've eaten Chinese food, and you don't like Chinese food, you're not going to give them one chance right. to feed you any more Chinese food. Right. But if you say best food in Houston, you have one chance. You know, you said something I think is absolutely critical for anybody out there, our church, any other church that's listening, you hit the nail on the head. It's a tightrope. Mm -hmm. Being relevant is a tightrope. Because on one side of the tightrope, you have the truth, which you cannot compromise. And on the other side of the tightrope is this desire to reach the next generation in the culture. You know, in, in Revelation, um, when Jesus was speaking to the church in Ephesus, he said, you don't do the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. And I remember reading that going, oh gosh, that's, mm -hmm, that's strong mm -hmm. language, Jesus. Yeah. What do you hate? I looked it up, and the Nicolaitans were a church that had bent so far to the culture that they stopped being salt and light in the culture. That's the tightrope. How do we reach a culture without stopping being salt and light in the culture? And that's what we're going to do. Oh, it's good to be back with you guys. 
I missed you. Uh, thank you, Pastor Freeman, for preaching last week. Did a fantastic job. Um, we're content. Yeah, y'all can clap for Pastor Freeman. He's amazing. I love that guy. <clears throat> You're going to be seeing him pretty regularly. And so um, we're laying on the plane here this week and next week on our core value series. <clears throat> and then I think next week I'm going to reveal and let you know where we're going from here. I, I was going to do a, another topical series on um, some of the other, the strategy of Sagemont. I've decided not to do that. I think we're going to jump into a book of the Bible. And so I guess in three weeks, we're going to jump into a book of the Bible, go verse by verse. I'm excited about that. Um, now, let's do this. Let's open up our Bibles today. Uh, let's go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, and then later on in the sermon, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 9, and I'll be there in just a minute in Revelation chapter 2. But today, by the way, thank you for coming in the, in the middle of a tropical storm to church. We're glad you're here. We'll let you out today. Hopefully, you can get home before this thing kicks in. What is going on in Houston, by the way? I come here, and there's two storms in about three weeks. I don't know if that's a sign from God or what, but... We're talking today about, this guy over here said, amen. <laughs> We're talking today about the core value of relevance, relevance, that uh, we want to be relevant as a church. And I want to challenge you today to remember two things through this sermon, two things. Number one, I want you to remember that I did not come up with this core value. This was a core value that was thought up and implemented by Pastor John and his team years ago. And the second thing I want to, want to challenge you to do and remind you of today is I want to challenge you to hang with me all the way to the end of this message. Hang with me all the way to the end. The application of this message might surprise you a little bit. Don't miss this, what I'm about to say. <clears throat> the sermon is not about how we need to change all of our music to contemporary, because we're not going to do that. The sermon is not about how I need to dress up like a hip-hop artist in order to reach culture, because I'm not going to do that. And so hang with me all the way to the end. Let's let the Lord speak to us, because the Bible has things to say on the issue of relevance. It really does. <clears throat> so let's, uh, when I go to the website, or I went to the website, I want to read to you what it says about the core value of re relevance. It's really good, actually. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says, we believe that we are called to connect a changing world with the unchanging message of the Bible. Demonstrated, in other words, this is how we're going to do that, <clears throat> demonstrated by doing all that we can in worship, in teaching, and in living to speak a language that people understand. Okay? <clears throat> That's our core value. Now, this was one of the primary, I said this on the video, this is one of the primary core values that got my attention when I was checking out Sagemont. I was reading through your website, and, and that phrase, we're called to connect a changing world with the unchanging message of the Bible, to do all that we can in worship, teaching, and living, to speak the language people understand. That got my attention because it's the mark of a great church. It's, it's the mark of a church that is absolutely committed to reaching its community with the message of the gospel. <clears throat> and it got my attention because so many churches, especially the age of Sagemont, that have been around 
as long as sage might have, that core value is just as rare as debt freedom, if not more rare. And so, and, and honestly, guys, if, if most older churches were completely honest, their core value would read something like this, that we're called to connect the changing world with the unchanging message of the Bible, but we're not willing to do a blooming thing. We're not willing to change a thing in order to reach an unchanging or a changing culture with the unchanging message of the gospel. And so when I read that, that that was Sagemont's value, I thought to myself, this church is different. It was one of the things that got my attention. Now I want to tell you today, I want to talk for a second about why this core value is critical for our future here as a church. It's critical that we continue to do it because churches that refuse to value relevance in the culture and refuse to do it in a biblical way, promise you, they always eventually die. It's not if, but when. And as a matter of fact, you can go to every major city in this entire country, and and if you look around, you can find church after church after church that for a decade or two were really effective at reaching their community, that they were churches that God had their hand on. They were on fire for the Lord. their, their, their worship centers were full of people. People were coming to know the Lord left and right for a decade or two. But if you walk into their church today, it's this huge sanctuary, and nobody's in it. It's one of the saddest things you'll ever see in your life. And I'm convinced that one of the main reasons that happens is because most churches simply are not willing to live out this simple biblical value of relevance. Now, to get our minds around what this means today, I want to start by giving you two reasons why um, the pursuit of relevance is so rare in churches. And here's the first one. First reason that... uh, pursuit of relevance is rare in, in most churches because the word relevance has become a dirty word in a lot of church circles. It's a dirty word. <clears throat> a, lot of, a lot of us, when we hear, and some of you are probably already doing this, when you hear me say relevance, what comes to your mind is the word compromise. We think relevance means compromise. We think that if, if, we're, if we're trying to be relevant, that means we're going to compromise the truth in order to reach the culture. And honestly, guys, in a lot of churches and a lot of places, that's absolutely true. I shared in the video, <clears throat> that's exactly what the church in Nicolaitia had done. And Jesus looks at the church in Nicolaitia, and he says, I hate what you're doing. Let me read this to you, Revelation chapter 2, verse 6. Jesus says, yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, and this is, this is red letter stuff here, Jesus says, which I also hate. Wow! I shared it in the video, but we'll, let's talk about it again. What in the world was this church doing? That Jesus looks at their church and says, I hate what you're doing. Here's what they were doing. is that they were trying to be relevant. <laughs> they were trying to be relevant to the culture But in an attempt to be relevant to the culture, they bent so far to the culture that they started compromising the gospel. That's not relevance, that's compromise. In an attempt to reach the culture, you can bend so far to the culture that you you 
compromise the scripture. You compromise the gospel. That's, that's not relevance. That's compromise. And Jesus looked at them and says, I hate that. And we're seeing a lot of churches do that in our culture. You see it all over the place. There's even churches in our city, several churches in our city that, that in an attempt to reach people for Christ, they're trying to be less churchy, trying to be more relevant. <clears throat> but here's what they're doing. They change worship, right? But they don't just change worship. I've seen a lot of churches do this. They don't just change worship to a more contemporary style that, that, that sort of meets the needs of the culture or whatever. What I've seen a lot of churches doing is they're, they're getting rid of uh, worship altogether. And they'll have a band, but on Sunday morning they're, they're just playing contemporary songs that have nothing to do with Jesus whatsoever because they think that's cool or they think that's relevant. That, that's not relevance, that's compromise. Y'all with me? We're seeing a lot of churches today, they're changing their preaching. And instead of preaching God's Word in a way that the culture can receive it, they've stopped preaching God's Word altogether. And they're preaching these sort of feel-good, life-lesson, felt-need sermons with maybe a little scripture thrown in there for good measure. That's not relevance. That's compromise. Okay? Jesus said, I hate that. So we're not going to do it. Mark my words, okay? When I'm talking about relevance, I'm not talking about compromise here at Sagemont whatsoever. Okay? Second reason, that's kind of the first one, is a lot of times it's, it's rare because when we hear relevance, we, we freak out, and we're like, oh, that means compromise. It doesn't have to mean that. It can, but it doesn't have to. Second reason, this core value is difficult and rare in churches, and hear this, because with the exception of debt freedom, this core value requires an incredible amount of sacrifice by individual people within the church for it to occur. Here's what I mean by that. <clears throat> to actually live out that statement, we're called to connect a changing world with the unchanging message of the Bible by doing all we can in worship, in teaching, and living to speak a language people understand. In order to do that, that requires, listen, it requires individual people caring more about reaching the next generation for Jesus than they do their own personal preferences. And a lot of churches just aren't willing to do it. You know, one of the biggest fights that's taken place over the last 40 years in church history is the uh, contemporary versus traditional worship music fight in church. Y'all familiar with that one? So during the 80s and 90s, a lot of churches began to shift their music and singing from hymnals and hymns to a more contemporary style of worship, and the fight was on, right? The fight was on. The older generation liked hymns, and they liked hymnals. And all of a sudden, churches started putting these crazy video screens up in, the, up in the church. The older generation liked pianos and organs. And all of a sudden, crazy pastors started putting drums and electric guitars on the stage. And the fight was on. Now listen, when that happened, video screens, drums, electric guitar, Older generation is screaming from the rooftops, that's compromise! But it really isn't. That's actually relevance, because a lot of the songs that were being sung, they're still biblical. 
They're still Christ-exalting. They're still theologically rich. They were simply changing the way that they were presented so that the upcoming generation would better receive them. So that's not compromise. That's actually relevance. And you know what's funny? I bet a lot of you didn't know this. But what's fascinating to me, I didn't, I didn't know this until um, pretty recently when I was studying a, a book on church history. But if you look at church history, and you look at the history of worship in the church, there was actually a very similar fight. It was actually the exact same fight, but it happened about 200 years ago. And for centuries, for centuries, from the very beginning of the church until mid-1800s or so, how do you think they did worship in the church? They just sang. Acapella. They just, everybody sang hymns together. And then all of a sudden, one Sunday, somewhere along the way, I don't remember who it was, but some crazy pastor had the audacity to bring a piano (laughs) into church. And what do you think the older generation did? They flipped out. They got mad. And they're screaming from the rooftops, we're compromising! Because that piano's, that's what's in bars. That's what's in saloons. We can't, we can't sing with a piano. That's what the world does. We're compromising. No, it's not compromise. It's just relevance. That was presenting these very rich, wonderful worship songs in a way that that generation could receive it. Okay? Every time throughout history that the church has tried to present the unchanging message of the gospel in a way that reaches a new generation, the previous generation starts getting uncomfortable. And I want you guys to know something. I get it. I get it. Here at Sagemont, I'm the young guy, right? But at my previous church, I was the old guy. I was the oldest guy on staff. Of staff of 250, I was the oldest guy. So I'm the, I'm the old grandpa walking around. And let me tell you what happened. I started experiencing what the previous generations experienced about 20, 30 years ago with this contemporary worship thing. I'll tell you a little about myself. I love hymns. I love, I love hymns. I think hymns are the best written songs in history. They're incredible. Um, Come Thou Fount, O Holy Night, I, th- nothing better in the world. I love hymns. Um, I also love what you might call Chris Tomlin-style worship. How great is our God? That's my heart music. I think I've shared this before. I can't remember if I did or not, but when I planted the Austin Stone in 2002, Chris Tomlin was my worship leader, and he was with me for seven years. And so from about 2002 to 2015, our church, um, and, and, and the guy after him, the church, we, we began and we grew and we cut our teeth and we sort of experienced our heyday with this how great, of, how great is our God style of worship music. From t- 2015 to 2020, I don't know if you've noticed, but the culture has begun to change a bit. Amen? It's changing. And the 18-year-old that was coming to the University of Texas in 2002 is radically different than the 18-year-old coming to the University of Texas in 2020. Things are changing. Culture's changing. My worship leaders... Um, they're, they were young, they're cutting-edge guys in their 20s, and they started changing, the last five years they started changing our, our worship to sound more like what the young people were listening to on the radio, and they, they, they started putting like techno beats 
behind the worship songs. We heard it at the beginning of this, I don't know what was going on at the beginning of the service, but that, that's kind of what our worship sounded like. And true story, I'm not trying to be funny, this is a true story, you can go listen to it, but it's, a lot of the songs sounded like R2-D2 was talking behind the worship. And I just, I like hymns, man. I, I, how great is our God? And R2-D2 is talking behind the worship. It, now here's the thing though, the lyrics were awesome. They were theologically rich. They were theologically sound. They were biblical. We made sure they were. It's critical that these songs going to the next generation had to have correct and right theology. They were Christ-exalting songs, but the music sounded less like Chris Tomlin did in the 90s and, and sounded more like what the kids were listening to on the radio. And guys, I'm just being honest, it wasn't what I preferred. Not a big R2-D2 music fan, all right? But I'm sitting on the front row of my church, listening to R2-D2, and I look around, and thousands of college kids, thousands, are raising their hands and worshiping Jesus. And this is in the middle of a, a time where college kids are leaving the church like crazy, but at our church at the Austin Stone, they were coming, and they were worshiping the Lord. And so I got to a place where I thought to myself, <clears throat> if I have to sacrifice what I like, if that means that there's going to be 20-year-old, 19-year-old, 21-year-old kids that come to Jesus and meet him, I'll sacrifice what I want all day long. So many churches out there, they're just simply not willing to make that change. And that is, and the reason they're not ever willing to make the change, it's like we're not going to do it, that's one of the primary reasons that, listen, this is key, that a, that, a, that a church that God uses in one generation almost is never as effective in the second generation as they were in the first. It just almost never happens. As a matter of fact, I saw an article as I was studying for this, and it was really discouraging to me um, as I read it. <clears throat> And it was talking about how, according to this article, that there's only been a handful of churches in American history where once the founding pastor left, that the second pastor came in and exceeded the growth of the, of the first pastor. It's only happened, they said, this seems low to me, but this is what they were arguing, that it only happened around 20 times in American history, where the second pastor came in and exceeded the growth of the first pastor. And the reason that happens is because God begins to move in that first generation of the church, and, and they kind of have their heyday, and they're on fire for the Lord, and God's moving, and they're changing, and, and that first generation of the church sees God moving, and they sort of get in their minds, that's how it's done. This is how we do it. But then they start getting older, and the next generation comes in, and what, what would reach that first generation may not, the methods that re reach that first generation, same message, different methods, may not reach the second one. They aren't willing to make the change, and they wake up one day, and, and they're dying. And so, guys, here's the thing that sort of hits me, is that I don't know about you, but I'd like to be number 21. If you don't want to be 21, this may not be the church for you, because that's where we're going. If we don't want to be number 21, we are wasting our time. We're a country club, not a church, if we don't want to be number 21.
So let's take a minute here. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 9.16. 1 Corinthians 9.16. It's important to remember that the concept of relevance is very biblical. This is Paul speaking, 1 Corinthians 9.16. Paul starts off in verse 16, he says, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. Now watch what he says next. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Okay, so Paul starts this argument and he says, he says, I am going to preach the unchanging message of the gospel no matter what, and woe is me if I don't do it. But I want you to watch what he says next. Because he talks about how he's going to preach the gospel. Look at verse 20. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Verse 21. He said, to those outside the law, he's talking about Gentiles, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Verse 22. He says, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. And then he says something critical here to our sermon. He says, I have become all things to all people, that by all means, that by all means... I might win some. Church, Paul's not talking about compromise. He's talking about relevance. He says, when I'm with the Jews, and I'm preaching to a Jewish audience, I'm going to preach to that Jewish audience in a way that they can receive it. When I'm over here in another country, and I'm preaching to the Gentiles, I'm still going to preach the gospel. Woe is me if I don't, but I'm going to preach to the Gentiles in a way that they can receive it in their context. When I'm preaching to the weak of faith, Same message, not compromising the gospel, but I'm going to preach in such a way that a person that's struggling in their faith can receive the message of the gospel. And then he ends by saying, I'm going to become all things to all people. Why? So that I might win some to Jesus. Paul says, bottom line, here's what this is all about. Paul says, I care so much about people going to heaven that I will give up whatever I need to give up. I'll put to death whatever I need to put to death. And as long as I'm not compromising, I'll change whatever I need to change to see people go to heaven. That's what he just said. That's our heart. That's, the re- that's relevance. That's what, this thing, that's what this whole thing is all about. I give you my word, we will never compromise the message of the gospel of the scripture at this church. We will never do it. I'll go to jail first. We're never going to do it. But here's what we are going to do. It's just like Paul. We're going to ask ourselves the question, what's the best way to do it? We're always going to be evaluating that as a church so that we can take, as Pastor John said, is we can take the unchanging message of the Bible to a radically changing culture. Now listen, real real, real quickly, hear this. Again, when we're talking about relevance, we're not talking about compromise. What this really is is 
it's not compromise, it's contextualization. That's what relevance is. It's contextualization. I want to give you the definition of contextualization here. <clears throat> contextualization is presenting information, keeping in mind the context in which it's received. That's all contextualization is. That's all relevance is. Okay? It's when you're, when you're presenting a truth, you're simply keeping in mind the context in which you pr- present a truth. That's what Paul's saying to the Jews, to the Gentiles, to the weak. I want to give you an example of how I had to contextualize at my time in Austin. Um, Austin is a very liberal city. If you look at like a political map, the entire state of Texas pretty much is, is, a, is a big red blob, right? And there's a couple of cities, Houston's going blue, but then there'll be one little blue dot in the middle of Texas, and that is Austin. And I planted a church there, because I'm crazy, but I planted a church there in the middle of that. And I grew up, I'm, I'm like a redneck from East Texas, guys. I caught quail with my bare hands. Like, I, I'm, I grew up hunting and fishing, and I love to hunt. I'm a big hunter. By the way, I'll be your best friend if you take me hunting. Just, I'll, I'll just let you know. If you will take me hunting, I'm in. Sign me up. Um, but one of the very first services, I'm joking, sort of. And um, <laughs> one of the very first services at the Austin Stone, I used a deer hunting illustration. And the University of Texas is full of these sort of city kids, you know, these city boys, city girls, frat, frat boys and stuff. And I gave this illustration about killing a deer. And when I got to the, I don't remember what I was talking about, like, I don't even remember my point, but when I got to the point where I talked about pulling the trigger, there was a gasp. I was like, oh. <laughs> and I don't remember much after that, but the, I was like, oh. I'm in trouble. But I got lots of emails, like, how in the world could you kill an innocent deer? And, and I learned really quickly that hunting illustrations were counterproductive when I'm preaching the gospel to a group of liberal UT students. It's counterproductive, right? I had to give up a good illustration. I had to give it up. Okay, that's an example of relevance. I still preach the gospel. When I'm preaching to these University of Texas kids, I used illustrations that help them better understand. It's not compromise. That's relevance. Let me give you another example of contextualization in history. This is a cool one. I, didn't, I should know this, but I did not know this story until this week. One of the greatest Christian missionaries in history, outside of the Apostle Paul, was an Englishman named Hudson Taylor. And he, he, Hudson Taylor, left England, and he showed up in China in 1854. I want to show you a picture of what he looked like. This is actually critical. Notice the hair, okay? And notice the black overcoat. That's going to be important in just a second, okay? You can take that down. That's Hudson Taylor. <clears throat> so he shows up to China, got that haircut, got the black overcoat. He's got tracks with him, and this is going to be his missional strategy. He's going around to the Chinese people who really, there was no gospel movement at the time there. He's going to hand out gospel tracks. He's going to go into villages. He's got medical supplies, and he's got food. It's a good, good strategy. For the first couple of years, he had zero conversions, not one. Nobody came to Jesus. This dude's passing out food. He's passing out medical supplies. Nobody's coming to Christ. He finally, after two years, gets fed up, comes to his buddy who's Chinese and said, what's going on? Nobody wants to listen to me. And his friend looked at him and he said, the reason that is is because people are scared to death of you. He said, really? What do you mean they're scared to death of me? And he said, it's your black overcoat, man. They call you the black devil. (laughs) He said, really? 
He goes, yeah, these people have never seen a black overcoat in your life. Man, you got to take that thing off. So here's what he did. Takes a black overcoat off. It's a good coat, but he took it off. He cut his hair, shaved his head, which was the style of a Chinese man back then, and grew one of those little pigtails in the back. Did the same thing. Passed out tracks. Passed out medical supplies and food. And all of a sudden, people started listening to him. Receiving him into his villages. Into their villages. And by the time it was done, they had 18,000 conversions. They planted 300 churches. And they raised up 500 pastors. It was one of the greatest missionary movements in the history of the world. Why did that happen? Why was all of a sudden he so effective? He was completely ineffective. And all of a sudden, he was effective. And it was something as small as changing the presentation of the gospel in a way that the culture could receive it. And the reason that he was personally able to do that is because the man got to the place where he cared about people going to heaven. He cared more about the eternal souls of men than he did his own personal preferences. And so I want you to listen real quickly. I want to read this thing, one, this, this thing to you one more time. We're called to connect the changing world with the unchanging message of the Bible by doing all that we can in worship, teaching, and living to speak a language people understand. Okay? I promise you that the Apostle Paul and that Hudson Taylor are in glory, and they're saying amen to that. Now, here's what's amazing. Sagemont, you guys have always done this. I'm not saying that to flatter you. I, I started learning some of the stuff that Pastor John did, and I kept saying on the video, it was before your time. That man had guts. He changed, he took Baptist off the name when people were getting murdered for that kind of stuff. It's cool to do it now. But he did it before anybody was doing it. People came at him, they're like, you can't do that. You're compromising, you're selling out. He stuck to his guns because of what he said. He's like, look, they're, they're, they're Methodists out there. They're not walking into a Baptist church. There's Presbyterians, there's Lutherans, there's lost people. They're not walking into a Baptist church. But you just do something that small. It's taking off that name. Same church, same message, same gospel, but they'll come in. And now I've talked to several of you like, I'm a former Methodist. I'm a former Presbyterian. I'm a former, former Lutheran. There's all these, I'm a former Catholic. There's all these people that have come and heard the message of the gospel that may never have walked into our doors. That's not compromise, that's relevance. Contemporary music, I didn't realize this. Sagemont was, you guys were doing choruses and stuff before most people in the country were doing it because of this core value. Offering plates. Have you ever noticed we don't pass a plate around here? At the Austin Stone, I pass a plate every Sunday. Those college kids gave me 17 bucks a week, total, all of them. <laughs> true story, true story before Jesus. One time, somebody put in a $3 gift card to Starbucks in there. That's all he had. I'm giving it to you, Jesus. <laughs> Pastor John did that because there was all these financial sc scandals, and he's like, hey, we're going to do it different. We're going to trust in the Lord with our finances. We have those boxes at the back. We have online giving. That's all, all we have, and God has always provided. I can go on and on, but this is the church that's always done this. It's always been about contextualizing relevance, but the question that brings us to today, and it's a really important question for every one of us to ask is are we going to keep doing it? Are we willing to keep doing that? Are we going to be like the 99.9% .9 of every church that's ever lived 
Refuse to change, refuse to contextualize, and go the way of the dodo bird. We're going to be like Hudson Taylor and the Apostle Paul. Say, we're going to do all things, be all things, all people, so that we might win some. Let me end today with just a real, give you three quick steps of application, and, and we're going to be done. What does this look like? Number one, what I'd like to do, and this may not work, I don't know if it'll work or not, but we're going to give it a try. I'd like to be a church that's relevant to multiple generations. Most churches, they focus on older people, or they forget about old people, and they focus on young people. And so I thought, what if we tried to do both? Now, this may surprise some of you guys. Some of you guys, when, when you saw me come and thought, I wonder if he'll care about the older generation. I do. And this might surprise you, but we have had an unbelievable number of folks from the older generation that are visiting our church right now. And I know that because I've been back in the, in the Connection Center, the Welcome Center, and they're coming to Christ. In the month of August, we had 128 first-time visitors at this church. Just in one month. Yeah, that's cool. Wes said that was a record. And a lot of them are young. A lot of them are young. College kids, young adults, young families. But a lot of them are just, they're older folks that are coming in and say, Pastor Matt, man, I heard about Sagemont. I heard about what God's doing there. I came check it out. I'm coming. And they're coming. And listen, I love it. I love that. Old people, older, seasoned, seasoned people. <laughs> seasoned people need Jesus in Houston just as much as young people. Amen. There you go. I knew I'd get an amen. Is it possible to be relevant to two, three generations? We're going to try. Hang with me, okay? But here's what I'm asking of everybody in the church. If you're a part of the younger generation, I want you to be willing to make sacrifices in order to reach the older generation. And at the same time, if you're a part of the older generation, I want you to be willing to make sacrifices to reach the younger generation. And what that looks like yet, I really don't know. But for the glory of the name of Jesus, let's be a people that cares more about reaching the lost than we do our own personal preferences. Okay? Real quick. Thank you. Number two. Second point application. Guys, let's take the phrase, we've never done it that way before, completely out of our vocabulary. Let's just take it out of our vocabulary. Now, if we're talking about the Bible, if we're talking about the inerrancy of Scripture, if we're talking about uh, what is right and what is wrong, say it all day long. But when we're talking about methods and stuff, let's take that phrase. We've never done it that way before, out of our vocabulary. Over the last 53 years, this church has been as effective as any church I know in making a dent in the Great Commission. But again, the methods that worked a couple of decades ago, they may not work in the decade to come. They just might not be as effective. Y'all ever heard like famous last words, that phrase, famous last words? It's really cool if you're ever bored, get online and look up famous people's famous last words. You know what the famous last words of a dying church are? We've never done it that way before. That's the death rattle of a dying church. Real quick, tell you a quick story. Uh, when I was a youth pastor in the Woodlands years ago, Back in 2000, I met this lady. She was 90 years old. Her name, we called her Miss Eunice. She was actually the sister of the pastor that led my dad to Jesus. Brother Bill Teasdale had one arm. Some of you may have heard of him. I loved her, and she loved me. 
She was the godliest woman I've ever met. Kindest woman I've ever met. 90 years old. We were at the church, Woodlands Parkway Baptist. I'm a youth pastor. I had no say in this. But they wanted to change. They take Baptists off. They were going from traditional to contemporary, and the older generation just was not happy. And it was one Sunday morning, and Miss Eunice was sitting on about the second row, and we're singing one of the contemporary songs, and I started looking around. I was a young youth pastor, 21 years old. I'm looking around, some of the older folks just sitting there with their arms folded. This is what Miss Eunice was doing. She was singing at the top of her lungs. Nine year old woman just getting after it. And after the service, I came up to her. I said, Miss Eunice, I said, I, I noticed that it's one of those contemporary songs, and you were had your hands in the air worshiping like crazy. I was like, Do you like contemporary music? And she said, Not really. <laughs> then she said something I'll never forget. She said, There's but she said, Matt, there's nothing more beautiful in the world than seeing the younger generation worship the Jesus I love. And she said, so I'm going to worship with them. I love machinists. She went home to be with Jesus about a year later. I give you my word as a pastor, I will never compromise the truth of the scripture, and I will never compromise the gospel. But whether you're young or whether you're old, I want you to give me your word that you're going to have the heart of machinists. And if we have a bunch of people with the heart of Miss Unison here, I'm going to make a prediction. We will not be able to build a building big enough to house the people that are going to come to this place. You watch. All right? Last one. Put your seatbelt on, guys. This is, this is a fun one right here. You ready? Number three. As we navigate the future together, let's be a church of peace. As we navigate the future together, let's be a church of peace. Let me read a verse to you. Verse uh, Philippians 2, 14. Paul says, do all things without complaining or arguing. I didn't hear any amens just then. <laughs> read it together. Or not together. Read it just in your mind and heart. Paul says, do all things without complaining. Do all things without arguing. Here's what we forget. This verse is just as inspired by the Holy Spirit as John 3.16. We hear John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And we say, Amen. We read Philippians 2.14, do all things without complaining or arguing, go la, 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 la. <laughs> and we respond and look just like people that don't know Jesus. Why do you think the scripture tells us to do that? By the way, if you ever need to talk to me, I'll talk to you. If you ever have a struggle, you have a problem, I want to hear from you. Let's just do it without complaining or arguing. There's a godly way to talk about differences. Why do we do it? Verse 15. Paul says, do all things without complaining or arguing. Verse 15. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. 
then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky. You want to be blameless and innocent? Do you want to be children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation? Paul says this is how you do it. You don't complain and you don't argue. And you're going to look so different than the world when you're not complaining and not arguing. You're going to look so different than the world. Paul says you're going to stand out. You're going to shine like the stars in the sky. This church has always been willing to do that. Always been willing to take the unchanging message of the gospel to a changing culture. But here's the reality, Sage Mont. We're at a crossroads at a church. We really are. We can do it the way we've always done it, or we can have that same spirit and the same heart that Brother John had all those years ago. And maybe, just maybe, over the next 20, 30, 40 years, God can do this thing again. I'd like to be a part of it. The last thing I'm going to say is this. I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine just Judgment Day for a second. Go ahead and do that, just in your brain. Revelation, you're in the picture, you made it, you're in heaven. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation is around the throne of God. There in front of you is the Lord. Wow. He's blowing your mind when you're seeing him. And there to his right hand is Jesus, the love of your life, the one who shed his blood that got you there. And then over to your right are several thousand from the Persian tribe of Iran. And then over to your left, several thousand from the Peachy and Popovo tribe of the Amazon. And right there in front of you, it's this huge group of people from the Dolgan tribe of Russia. And they're worshiping. And they're right there beside you. You don't recognize them. But it's a person from Houston, Texas. Got saved about 2020, 2021. And you look at them and said, hey, how'd you get here? person looks at you and says, because man, it was, I was lost. I was running from God like crazy. Somebody invited me to this church. It was called Sagemont. And I met Jesus there. And he points to the throne. He said, Jesus, he changed my life. I have a feeling on that day that whatever you and I gave up in this life will have been worth it if we could see that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this is, for this to happen in a church is only by the work of your Spirit. And so I ask you and I pray, Father, that you would move in such a way in Sagemont Church that when we look back on what you did, the only explanation, God, is that you did it. I pray that you would use people in this room in ways they never imagined. Lord, I pray that you would raise up hundreds of Miss Eunices, both men and women, that are sold out to seeing 
young people, old people, middle-aged people come to know the only one that matters, and that is Jesus Christ. Lord, move in our church. Move in our church. And we ask all these things for your glory. And so in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand together. Let's worship him.